0: Green Invest Asia examines the role of finance and strong environmental, social, and governance, or ESG, to unlock land use investments that reduce climate impacts of agricultural and forestry commodities that we rely on for everyday life. We bring you the inside story on sustainable land use investments, what's working, what's not, and the green areas in between. This podcast is born out of a sustainable land use project by the same name and funded by the United States Agency for International Development, or USAID, which works with investors to support agricultural and forestry companies in Southeast Asia, reduce their carbon emissions through climate smart operations.
1: Hi, I'm Christy Owen, director of USAID's Green Invest Asia, and I will be your host today. We are very fortunate to have as our guest for this episode, Eric Serva. He serves as the Sustainable Sourcing Vice President for the Livelihoods Funds, which are impact investment funds designed to improve and preserve agricultural and rural communities' natural ecosystems. Hello, Eric.
2: Hey, Christy.
1: To get us started, and for those who don't know about the livelihoods funds, can you provide a brief overview of the fund's mandate and history for us?
2: Sure, no, thanks a lot. First and foremost, we, um, Venture, we've been creating and managing funds with and for the private sector, which means we are not an isolated impact investment, but more, um, I would say, a turnkey integrator for businesses that really want to um, generate action through projects as per the um, SDG. We've been doing that for 10 years. Mostly, we're talking about field projects that have uh, helped our investors offset their carbon emission through social uh, environmental projects and or accelerate the transition of a sustainable supply chain to more holistic and land transformation. And the second leg, I mean, the sustainable sourcing was created in 2015. So um, that's important. And I think the second principle, which is essential for the businesses and the partners joining our fund is that um, the restoration of natural ecosystem really cannot be achieved according to us without the direct involvement of those whose livelihoods strongly depend upon nature, land, and biodiversity. I'm talking about the rural and agricultural communities which are really at the core of our projects and uh, really um, the actors of change. And uh, it's only because our projects are responding to their most pressing needs and engaging them that uh, we will succeed really in uh, addressing the big challenges of our times.
1: Thanks for that. And you mentioned partners joining the fund and being engaged in this kind of shared vision and shared outcome a theme of these podcasts has been the value of partnerships. And what I think really makes your funding model stand out in the world of blended finance are the partnerships that you have. Could you describe what makes for a strategic partnership from the perspective of the Livelihoods Fund?
2: Yeah, sure. I think if we've managed since 2011 to um, really engage 21 international cooperation, it's because we've convinced them that it was important, as I said, to work closely with rural communities, but also on the long term. I think the long term component is essential. And it means we have to be patient. Everybody had to be patient also to strive this partnership. I mean, the corporations, the public partners and ourselves to align everyone around the impacts, the outcome of the project. A strategic coalition of actors, which are really diverse in livelihoods works because we've managed to um, really uh, balance beneficial results for everyone. I mean, for businesses like the one you can see on our website, it's a food industry and a cosmetic industry as well. It means sharing costs and risks with suppliers and connects their supply to upstream pharma. And we've been, for example, able to do that in the Philippines with franking backup on the coconut supply chain. For communities and pharma, it's strategic partnership can demonstrate that it's going to enhance their life use. And mostly we do that in helping them on their um, farm viability and also the natural environment on which they depend. Like, for example, in Thailand, we've helped with Mars rice farmer to increase their net revenue by 40% and save water and production cost by 30%. So. That's important to um, really uh, embark the farmer. And this has been possible also because the third leg, the field implementers with which we work, think they can deliver on their mission. I'm talking about a not-for-profit in the Philippines, IRDF, which is really helping us strengthen farm co-ops and promote social justice and gender equality in Mindanao, which is very important for farmers that used to be trapped in poverty. So um, that's really um, at the core of our project. The strategic alliance and the coalition of actors absolutely
1: the emphasis on patience and you know working with farm it does require a certain understanding of the sector and the field certainly in green invest asia we share and subscribe to that idea that sustainable sourcing is a necessary vehicle to catalyze transformational change in land use patience is necessary but i'm curious to your thoughts eric as someone who specializes in sustainable sourcing, do you think there can be land use transformation without supply chain transformation? And how does your supply chain approach inform the types of partnerships
2: you pursue? Thanks, that's a very essential question for us because the value add, I suppose, of um, businesses partnering with us and public partners is that we really advocating for a holistic approach. If I take, for example, the need for enhancing biodiversity or finding a solution for climate change, it requires a minimum scale. And uh, in general, on a given territory, you've got different land uses. If um, I take the example of our project in Indonesia, it's a palm project with Mars on and L'Oreal, and that's by Musimas. I mean, from the onset, it was important to work on two legs. I mean, the supply chain action on the farm plots and also a landscape restoration and conservation work stream. You mentioned land use. I mean, in Indonesia, especially in Sumatra, I mean, there's been different transformation and change into the land use. This has happened in the past 10 years in sustainable sourcing. There's really the belief that uh, farmers need to diversify their revenue and we need also a diverse landscape. And as such, it's good that we convince our partner, for example, if we work on um, 8,000 hectares of palm farms, they're also happy. That we diversify the revenues of the farmer with cattle, with vegetable and fruit. And likewise, if we want to protect standing forests, it's important we work in on the buffer zone, where precisely having a combination of an agroforestry system, delivering revenues for fruit and sometimes timber will really, really help farmers make a living and therefore protect their forest and get more benefit from also having a biodiverse environment. So um, that's what we try to do as much as possible, because I would say our project needs to deliver above a minimum scale of five to 6,000 hectares. So uh, more and more, we are trying to generate those uh, larger landscape projects. And uh, we're very happy to see that there has been a shift from the private sector being very supportive of that approach
1: still following this thread about partnerships, I'm curious about how public funded investment, for example, through projects like USA Green Invest Asia or other development finance institutions who necessarily aren't involved in the supply chain, uh, but certainly do have an interest in the development objectives. How does such support help attract private investment? And why do you think that is? I mean, what role do these public sector actors have to attract private sector investment and cooperation into the projects that you're supporting?
2: Sure. And I realize I forgot to mention the government in the previous example, because one of the reasons for um, actually um, convincing or having the businesses feeling comfortable in this coalition is that also it gives them a platform to have a dialogue and a fruitful one with government bodies at district and provincial level. And um I'll say that on the public funding investment, if, if I may, I'd like to mention a specific partnership we're having in Africa with USID. Northern Ghana, and it gives an example of why is public funding investment attracted private investment in that landscape. We work with Mars and their supplier AK to help support women that are living in extreme poverty because of dry climate and difficulty accessing services and markets. Sorry, those women are collecting shea that is being transformed for making different products. And here, the public funding from USID was really helpful to de-risk Mars and its supplier investment in those communities because is being used for specifically enhancing food security for those women and to sustainably grow other produces venture. And why is it important? Because, I mean, most of the time the businesses are buying specific commodities or ingredients and not necessarily others, but still beneficiaries of programs or men and women growing a diversity of producers. And it's important to support them on the entire, especially when they're living under poverty line, to support them on different activities. And that's why it's important to have different partners and public one. And we've been successful and thankful of, of having 0.7 to one ratio of public private funding. And that's been essential to generate more projects. And again, I mentioned poverty. And of course, I mean, farmers have legitimate rights for basic security. And this is in all of our project. And as well as whilst we explain the benefits, farmers will get out of the project. They're also ready to put the efforts, but also sometimes financial skin in the game so that they can develop their entrepreneurship. And a specific action throughout our project is to strengthen Farmers Group, small business unit, to make sure that the benefits of our project really continue after we leave, which happens seven to 10 years after we start delivering uh, training or equipment. So it's really this combination of, as you said, public funding, pharma support and private investment, which is a nice mix. Absolutely.
1: It sounds complicated. And I feel like there's lots of things that could potentially go wrong.
2: Yes, it's complex.
1: But then to think about how you can get these, what are generally very risk-adverse corporates to commit to long-term partnerships that would be necessary to see this type of a project through. How do you get them to commit? What's the trick, Eric?
2: You're right. Generally speaking, most of us, not only corporates, we are risk-adverse. But the reality is that the sourcing of ingredients for food industry has been really indeed severe pressure over the last decades. I mean, stakeholders, they're all voicing concern about the state of the environment. But recently we've seen that supply chain were very unstable, volatile. I mean, sometimes you have big disruption of ingredients. And it's also a fact that the current generation of pharma, they don't have access to credits to make sure their children continue. So there's a lot of social costs, a lot of high profile FMCG have committed to sustainable approach to procurement, but they're really facing a magnitude of changes that needs to be implemented. And everybody who realizes acting alone is no more efficient. So I wouldn't say it's easier to convince them, but um, what they're asking us is twofold. First of all, um, they're looking for external expertise in putting complex technical projects in motion, as you say, and it's complicated. And uh, they like the fact that we can stay with partners close to the field to deliver and monitor. And second, they need blended finance vehicles to accelerate transition to regenerative agriculture or low carbon farming, which is interesting because, as I said, we started working on offsets for multinational and now it's offset, but it's also inset within the supply chain. So climate change has been really internalized as a global concern. Today, the procurement department buyers are really under pressure and it's difficult to find gas efficiency and to mobilize uh, suppliers and uh that's why they're asking us to do that for them. In a sense, it's easier because thanks to uh, the early movers, Mars Danone, Firminich, and Veolia, we paved the way for more partnership. And recently, even in developed countries, which we've demonstrated that pulling effort could really help solve a lot of issues. We're really moving towards a pre-competitive approach to uh, solving uh, issues and sourcing ingredients, which is uh, refreshing.
1: That actually kind of leads me to my next question around what's next. One thing that strikes me about the fund's development is how it has adapted to the urgency of climate change and been able to capitalize on some relatively fast-moving trends in terms of corporate sustainability and overall environmental social governance, ESG issues and commitments, especially coming out of the last two COPs. So I'd be interested to hear a bit more about what's next on the horizon for the Livelihoods Fund and opportunities that you are seeking.
2: Thanks, Christy. I mean, we're doing our best, but it's also important to say that we work on specific share of the sustainable sourcing of our partners. It's important they have choices and meaning different solution. But um, indeed, I mean, recently um, we've been tasked by the One Planet Business for Biodiversity. It's called OP2B. It's a coalition that asks us to lead the design of a multilateral initiative. It's building upon the experience for sure. But um, I think this new fund, it's called the Living Farms Fund, L2F, it's really um, aiming at uh, generating and pre-financing more regag and low-carbon projects within committed company supply chain. So um, what we're really putting together is, uh, i say a larger platform with more uh, companies, more um, impact investors and public donors to work on a broader scope, not limited to um, certain type of farm or emerging economies. No, I think everywhere where it makes sense. And um, I think we're taking a step further into um, coming up with an inno- innovative financial mechanism because it's going to be a fund where, at the same time, businesses and uh, um, impact financial investors will put some equity for long-term projects, which be 6 to 10 years, which is for some uh, impact investor uh, um, a change, especially in agriculture. But we're seeing a benefit for um, different companies, uh, not only the early sponsors of you to join and benefit from my tailor-made approach in sync with our business goal. What I think is changing is the fact that more and more, we're really activating levers to increase the viability of farming units. And that's great because here, I'm um, having in mind a project in the Philippines where we are linking farmers with rural banks and also some finance investors to help take farmers out of this trap of the vicious circle of indebtedness. And that is a big thing in rural communities. And I think we can work here if indeed we have more financial partner and business partner able to seeing the farm, the soil and the produces that are grown on this natural ecosystem around, but also farmers, men and women that need to have a better life. To decrease their production cost and to have really attractive businesses for our children. So, today's I uh, you know goal is to convince more partners to join this L two F fund. Work on um, um, you know uh, I was I was going to say innovative model. Yes and no because we're putting soil at the center of the transformation. Living soil because you need to have fertile, of course, soil and ground to grow. That's important. And also, I'm happy to see that our partner, not only the business one, but financial partner, are really asking us how they can help stabilize the revenues of farmers over the long term. And um, that's what we want to do. And uh, in 2023, we hope to launch this new platform and generate more projects, and uh, including Asia, of course, where we have some promising pilots that we like to bring to scale.
1: No, that sounds great. And I think that's telling, you know, that you're really able to apply the lessons that you've learned over managing the livelihoods funds for the past few years and then be able to articulate what needs to be different, having more patient capital, you know, the ability to have investments last longer over time and this focus on farmers and farmer finance as a way to help secure the sustainability of these commodities and of more sustainable production. And then, of course, you know, hearing you talk about soil and certainly that is something that comes up more and more these days in regards to low carbon production as well as better efficiencies as well as quality. So it sounds all super exciting. I'm certainly looking forward to the launch in 2023 of this new fund. Uh, We've covered quite a bit of ground today from the start to the supply chain approach, how you've really woven in strategic partnering, and then of course, being able to apply these lessons into this new fund that's being launched. Uh, So final parting thoughts, anything you'd like to leave our listeners with as they think about the Livelihoods Fund?
2: Well, I was saying, I mean, we're a social business. We compose of a good number of our passionate agronomists, forester, carbon expert, financier, and company manager. What's important for us is to remain agile for um identifying, structuring, and supporting projects that are implemented by equally committed and motivated partners. I mean, we have for sure ambitions, but we are very humble in front of the challenges and um, we've taken our time to... um deliver proof of evidence that our holistic model did work. Today, and thanks to um, businesses and public donors, including USID, we think most of our projects have um, potential to be extended, replicated, and we hope that uh, indeed more private and public partners could join, uh, and especially in Asia, and help us make more uh, projects on rice, on coconuts, on palm, on fruit because asia asia is a, you know it's got a big diversity and it's is it's it's, is very critical strategic as a sourcing region for a lot of um, partners that we work with so um we're very excited and because today we we're, we're launching new initiative in thailand and also in indonesia and the philippines so um, all i can say is um we welcome more discussion and uh sharing also learning on projects because there are things that did not work according to plan, but others that work better than foreseen. And it's important indeed to uh, really uh, put in the public domain the good learning with the achieved together and to remain hopeful for the great challenges ahead.
1: No, that's excellent. I think that's a great place to close this conversation. I share those hopes. I think your success will be our success as a global community. So I certainly wish... You and your colleagues the best of luck and look forward to hearing the lessons and the learnings, as well as the results that come from these new investments and new partnerships. So we have been talking to the Livelihoods Fund's Sustainable Sourcing Vice President, Eric Servat. Thank you for your insider perspectives on building out this fund, the value of partnerships and blended finance in general. For those who are listening, we will continue to bring you sustainable land use investment insights and updates from Southeast Asia in coming episodes. Thank you all.
0: This episode was supported by the United States Agency for International Development, or USAID which partners with the private sector worldwide to unlock capital and drive inclusive growth in emerging economies. Learn more at USAID.gov and GreenInvestAsia.com.